0: It right there's that there's that sound again, Anthony. I don't know what it means, it means it's that time again. I don't know what anything means. <laughs> We've lost all meaning. Man, what a week! What a week! What a week indeed! What a month!
1: I mean, March was, I think, one of the longest Marches ever, but I this month has kind of
0: flown by. I thought it was still April, April, yeah. <laughs> i never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, so, welcome to Freightonomics, everybody. I am Zach Strickland here with Anthony Smith. Hello, hello. Lead economist extraordinaire. And, uh, you know, what is Freightonomics, Anthony? Tell the people.
1: Freightonomics is the combination of freight and economics. The supply chain and supply and demand, they coincide very nicely. And it tells a beautiful story. When you deep die dive deeply in some of the trends and whether it be in freight or economics, it all kind of comes back
0: together. Yeah, so we tie those two things together or all of those things together uh, in one big mess and hopefully make it a little bit more understandable and translatable uh, into something that you can use with your day. So today on Freightonomics, we've got some big stories uh, that came out over the last week or so. Right. Uh, you know, just to get things kicked off, we're gonna talk about food supply chain issues and what we've been noticing there, uh, some big things there. Uh, you know, is that a little bit of a overhyped situation? Maybe, maybe not. It could be something that's pretty amplified. We'll, well, we'll talk about that here in just a second. We've got some earnings reports that came out. Uh, yeah. Again, what to glean from those. We had Old Dominion, SIA, and, of course, Werner came out with some earnings. We're not going to do a huge dive on those. Check out Great Quarter, guys. They do a tremendous job with that. Uh for for that but you know it is there are some things to notice uh from these earnings calls that we can apply forward and again what to take away from them we might be a little bit early in the game to be celebrating some of these earnings uh and on top of that a lot of what we're seeing is capital expenditures they're coming down that's going to drive down a lot of prices in the used truck market class 8 orders way down year over year as well uh, both of those things are having an impact to the freight market in general but anthony we had a pretty big release in economics something this week. slight, yeah. Something No, just a minor it's a release. a
1: quarterly release called the gross domestic product GDP. Oh, nobody needs to know about that. If you're an economist, you may have heard about <laughs> it, may have been on the headlines, but yeah, we did have a GDP release for the first quarter of 2020.
0: Yeah. So let's dive right on into it. Uh, so today, you know, or I guess last week, we were talking about, you know, there's this story that came out that a lot of these uh, meat packing facilities were shuttering because of infections, the COVID 19, of course, entering some of these plants. Tyson JBS, uh, the largest pre- meat processor in the United States, both had facilities shut down. Tyson, one of the plants actually accounts for 4% of the pork production in the United States in Waterloo, Iowa, uh, had shut down because numerous employees had been. Uh, infected by the COVID-19 virus, uh, you know, this is a fascinating dynamic uh, looking at this story. how does it mean that everybody needs to run out and go and buy a bunch of meat? No. No, it does not. <laughs> that's the one thing that I think they. But people don't always do that. kind of No, thing. no, they don't. Um, <laughs> so, so the irony here for the supply chain segment, uh, you know, don't run out to your store and hoard a bunch of meat that's going to go bad in three days anyway. Um, <laughs> the irony of this situation is, you know, they're having to slaughter, uh, you know, livestock right. in this situation, uh, and, and the and the fact is is that. If, you know, it's not necessarily that we're suffering from a shortage of supply, but they can't process the hogs. So as the hogs are, you know, raised and born and are born and raised, and then all of a sudden they, they mature enough to go to slaughter, uh, now the processing facilities are shut down and they can't process them. So that means that there is an abundance because they can't simply shut down growing hogs and livestock right. because that, that takes a little bit of time. Right. time <laughs> you know, they, yeah. Uh, so actually, they were talking about slaughtering a lot of these these hogs and animals uh, prior to their time uh, just because there wasn't enough room for them on the ranches. Uh, they had to make room for the others moving forward, which leads to profit losses, et cetera, for some of these cattle or uh, these ranchers out there uh, and farmers. So, uh, you know, this is something that will have an impact to freight obviously or has already had an impact to freight in the way that a lot of these carriers that are hauling these meat products if you check out this article on a you know food supply chains online uh, on freightways.com Clarissa Haas did a fantastic job of reporting on this one uh, for instance so you know some of these drivers are now having to deadhead uh, significant mileage uh one i believe said 350 miles or so which is uh, you know basically a wasted day right uh to go and drive because their facility was shut down uh and they are specific to meat uh, hauling. So these reefer carriers out there that are hauling these packaged meat, et cetera, they no longer have the freight in that area. This is going to be, uh, you know, a microcosm of what we see moving forward, right. you know, here in the next couple of months, as some of these places are shuttered for weeks at a time, maybe months, who knows. Uh, I think all of these are basically temporary shutdowns. Some of them were only for a few days uh, while they sanitized the facility. And of course, those employees that were infected and, uh, you know, they had to go through procedures, quarantine procedures. But um, this is going to be the theme of the year, I believe. You're going to have these many outbreaks showing up, coming on, you know, factories coming offline. It's not just going to be in the food supply chain. Um, It's going to happen in industrial, especially as we start to come back to work here in the next couple of months or so. So uh, another interesting aspect of this story, Anthony, isn't necessarily in the way that they're shutting down some of these meat processing facilities, but in the way that the food supply chain itself has shifted. Right. Uh, we're talking about moving from restaurant commissary to, uh, the grocery. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is not just like, oh, let's just flip a switch. You can't just divert all of that food that you were processing or moving towards the schools, towards the restaurants. They, they move that totally independent of the grocery. Yeah. Grocery is a little, a lot more farm fresh type stuff. Uh, the packaging is completely different. The processing is completely different. Uh, there's a lot more machinery involved and all that school and, uh, you know, as, as kind of gross as it may sound, fast food. All of these things are go through a different factory, different process. Same animals, <laughs> yeah, yeah. same vegetables, but they go through a totally different thing. One of the things that, uh, you know, was reported is the fact that since restaurants and schools are shut down for the most part, these facilities are shut down, all these farmers that were supplying these places— are now having to be subsidized. Yeah. Uh, one of the an example of this, of course, is you know eggs. You go to the store, you buy eggs. Right. They're whole. Yeah. You crack them, fry them up, scramble right. them up, whatever. For a lot of these places, they liquefy the eggs before they get to the facilities. So before they get to the schools and the and the restaurants, they're already scrambled up so they can easily pour them out. It's basically just an efficiency, a step in efficiency. So it's a step of processing uh, that they now no longer have to do because all those eggs need to go to the grocery stores. Right. right. <laughs> but they can't just shut that off. It's you know all of the end, all the infrastructure is set up for all of that all those eggs to go into that facility that processing. And now, in the meantime, like we had with the hogs, we have all this backup of oversupply, this glut in supply that cannot move to the other supply chain towards the grocery. Yeah. So they have to do something with it, and they just go bad. They have to they have to dispose of it. So, again, a lot of changing in the supply chain, especially the food supply chain, as we're, as we're moving forward. Yeah, and I think you you touched on
1: something there. Subsidies having to go, go to a lot of these farmers and. Of course, it's out of their control. You don't want to see American farmers out of work. But I get a little bit touchy around this one because I'm all for, you know, helping American business, especially American farmers. They feed the country. But the the downside is, is once you start some of these subsidies, we're looking two, three, four years out from now. Those subsidies are hard to pull back in and rein in historically from what we've seen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's that's government spending. Yeah. (laughs) In a nutshell. It's hard to turn that off. They Um, don't. The government doesn't simply just start doing something and then easily pull it back. Right. It takes another act of Congress, but they're like, well, it, we've got these other things to do. Everybody right. does it at your job. You basically start something and and instead of dismantling it and pulling it back down, it takes more effort to do that. But you have other priorities in your day that you have to focus on first. Right. And that's exactly how bureaucracy works. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 101. Uh So yeah so we've uh you know the food supply chain situation is going to be an interesting one to follow It's going to persist again, looking forward how does this play out, especially as some of these restaurants are shuttered for good um, you know what was the number? I think I heard as many as seventy percent of the restaurants will not come back in certain areas yeah, and it's going to be really rough for uh, of course, the bigger ones are going to be likely just fine
1: but when we're looking at mid-sized local mom and pops yeah. those that weren't able to have that kind of community support or maybe they were in devastated areas where they their coronavirus hit them so hard that and they were so understaffed or, or unable to accommodate any kind of takeout or, or pickup or delivery anything like that and so those are the ones that it's going to be difficult for them to, to kind of move forward especially as we see the small business loans not getting to everyone, even though we just had another one pass through not too long ago. It's rough. And and I know that uh, businesses were already in fear of it not being enough to uh, satisfy the demand for all the small businesses that missed out on the first round of uh, funding from the PPP. So it's going to be hit hard. And I think that's going to be the story throughout the entire country, right? When we're looking at whether it's trucking, uh, retail, uh, restaurants, groceries. the the bigger substantial companies, they're going to survive. They're going to do just fine. Yep. The medium smaller companies, they're going to have a rough go at it, especially if they weren't able to get on um, some of those uh, uh, CBA loans,
0: subsidies and everything. So yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch, especially as some of these carriers out there are moving a lot of product for you know a lot of these bigger conglomerates. Right. Uh, maybe some of that shifts over to grocery, but that's not as e- that's easier said than done. Right. Uh, so let's move forward. Uh, you know, we had some big earnings come out. Like I said, not going to do a huge deep dive on these guys. The great quarter guys do a uh, do a tremendous job with that. But it, I, th- I think it's worth mentioning because that will also segue into my next uh, topic. Uh, so we had Old Dominion come out last week. They're worth mentioning because they are the largest or the most respected, I should say. Not the largest. Uh, they're, they're one of the most respected LTL companies in the United States. Their service obviously is, uh, you know, considered one of the... The best. Uh, they are a pure LTL carrier. You know, you have other, you know, companies out there that aren't necessarily pure LTL. They have brokerages and other things like that. But Old Dominion focuses on LTL alone. Uh, we also had SIA come out with earnings, and they both beat uh, expectations. And both of them actually had improving OR numbers. Now, they weren't by a lot of OR. The operating ratio, of course, a measure of the company's profitability, but also, more importantly, their measure of operational efficiency, which is extremely difficult to attain in an LTL network. Uh, You know, truckload carriers, of course, are just moving from point A to point B, and they need to get their trucks moving, you know, consistently across the country. LTL networks are a lot more static. Uh, You have to, that point A to point B is there every single day, (laughs) and then there's a bunch of mini-deliveries sitting out there around their their terminals that they got to go and and deliver to. So this is a, if freight drops off dramatically, that exposes a lot of network uh, weakness, if you will. So. The big takeaway here is that both of them had improving operating ratios and, you know, everybody's thinking, well, you know, and I think Wall Street and all the analysts up there were probably jumping the gun. In terms of saying okay they're going to get punished and we're seeing this consistently through many earnings uh, reports they're beating the street by a good margin and it's because wall street is thinking oh march was terrible yeah you and i both know that march was not terrible for everybody uh, a lot of the small carriers got hit pretty hard uh, but a lot of these larger guys especially on the publicly trade if you're large enough to be publicly traded yeah. you have some exposures to some bigger shippers a lot of consumer products in that mix a huge pull forward lot of pull forward you know we saw our outbound tender volume index jump like 30 percent right. uh over the first two to three weeks of the uh month in march and then didn't really fall off we didn't fall back through that you know that boundary that we normally see that unseasonable boundary we didn't have a year, negative year over year comp until april right so during that during the month of march these carriers actually got a good boost yeah, so they're eating good Improving revenues, which was a consistent theme, uh, ORs going up maybe is a, that's a little bit surprising to me uh, in terms of the volatility. It's very difficult to manage surging or declining volatil- volumes in any sense. Uh, so they they both beat their their OR expectations, but also it was a record OR for Old Dominion in the first quarter. Again. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They talk about how they, you know, we're seeing 20% declines in volume uh, year over year in April already as the month of April started. So not so fast uh, on the LTL side. Second quarter, again, like many of these uh, earnings reports, uh, first quarter, not anything to get excited about. Right. They all remove their guidance for the rest of the year. Their CapEx expenditures, of course, are getting slashed. Um, they're not expecting a great second quarter. Again, I I think we're just really seeing all that pull forward propping up this first quarter numbers. Uh, They may actually have made them better than they were. You know, I wrote an article about this potential in my my last uh, Chart of the Week article. It comes out every Saturday about how we were looking at, you know, these guys – are probably getting, you know, a lot of cushioning, even though everybody else is suffering, Right, right. <laughs> you know, in the month of March. We're all staying at home. But again, freight was moving. Uh, there was a report that came out uh, just recently that, you know, said this exact thing. Vehicle miles traveled, uh, you know, were up for a period of time in March. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it wasn't it, it wasn't necessarily um, that bad of a quarter for freight. Next up, second quarter, we're gonna we're gonna see how that works out. Now, the next one uh, we had one of the obviously the biggest one of the bigger truckload carriers in the in the country, Werner, had some earnings come out as well. Uh, they showed increase in revenue, but declining OR uh, year over year. Now, this has been more consistent with the truckload guys; their ORs did go down. Uh, I think we're seeing that is reflected in the inefficiency of the networks. You're having more deadhead miles, a lot of short haul freight moving versus the long haul freight in March. Uh, so that makes things a little bit harder to manage uh, for them. Whereas, you know, the LTL guys are more set up to be a very one directional and they can handle that. They don't necessarily move all their own equipment. Right. Uh, so a lot of purchased transportation moving those line haul moves from hub to hub. Whereas Werner and J.B. Hunt and all the bigger carriers out there, uh, they have to get those trucks back. Yeah. Old Dominion, SIA, they will use them to move their freight you know, from point to point in the, in the longer haul moves. So, uh, that, that might be what we're seeing here is a little bit of pass through on those costs. And, uh, Werner dropped from an 89.1 to a 91.5, uh, you know, excluding fuel on the adjusted OR, but again, a pretty strong OR. Nonetheless, revenue increased, uh, from 398 million to about 409 million. Again, Nice little boost on yeah. the revenue, Substantial. Uh, you know, significant uh, little drop, uh, little drive on the revenue. Um, they did well. And a lot of that had to do with dedicated. Their dedicated division did well. Uh, you know, just like J.B. Hunt's dedicated did really well this quarter is, you know, so it's th- this is, you know, I don't want to say it, but this is probably as good as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, for these guys, for the at least an, another quarter. Third quarter, I have no idea what's going to happen there. But again, there's uh It is it is nice to see some positive news, right? <laughs> uh, amidst all of uh, you know the chaos, uh, Wall Street probably jumping up now. Something that we did notice in these earnings reports, well, these headwinds that we got uh, from you know these guys was the fact that the used truck market was a significant. Uh, it, it really pulled some people down uh, in terms of sale of used trucks. The used truck prices have dropped off dramatically since this time last year we 're talking uh, fifty eight thousand or i 'm sorry, over just seventy thousand uh, dollars for a used truck, a three year old model used truck this time last year, uh, and now it 's down all the way to fifty seven thousand so Huge deflation yeah, yeah. in the, in the price that they can get for those used trucks. Uh, the four year and five year models were much worse. Uh, so again, depending on what kind of equipment you were trying to sell, your depreciation, you, your residual values really dropped off the cliff here in the last year. And we started to see that really in from July. It was the back half of 2019 that we saw a lot of those used truck prices really fall off a cliff. And that's something that you don't think about, you know, when you're moving freight is, I'm trying to turn over my fleet to keep my maintenance costs higher, my right. insurance costs lower, et cetera, uh, you know, on a certain schedule. Some people have a three-year plan. The bigger guys, of course, want to keep their average fleet age down. It keeps their book values higher. Uh, but at the same time, you want to get as much active life out of a vehicle as possible. Right. Um, and so that'll keep your, you know, your equipment costs down in aggregate right, right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a struggle on the balance uh, sheet there to keep things where they are so used truck prices really falling off a cliff but we're also seeing a lot of orders fall down as well i think we're going to see this translating into you know some of these fleet ages are going to start creeping up right uh that's going to have the adverse impact to the maintenance spend uh here moving forward but again maybe they're not going to be traveling as many miles uh So, again, that's going to have this downstream effect on what we're seeing with, you know, how people are spending moving forward. It's not just going to be like, okay, everybody go back to work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all the miles come back all of a sudden. Right. Um, It's not going to be that way. And then, again, we're talking about a soft year more than likely because of the reduction in miles. It's going to be a very fragmented recovery cycle. Um, You know, these, these factories that are coming back. And and these trucks are not going to be on the road as much. They're not going to have the money to spend on these orders. But it, that's also in itself going to lead to less freight because they haul for the OEMs. Right. You know, then you have the automotive cycle, et cetera, like that. People aren't driving as many cars. Uh, there's a big question over whether or not the automotive uh, sector is going to turn back on here in the next little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's... Obviously, a big freight <laughs> product right. to move. All of these uh, pieces of making these trucks are, uh, are definitely going to have you know, a down, you know, downwind, downstream effect. Yeah. It's going to be a headwind for the freight market in general. Yeah, an automotive uh, vehicle and parts were one of the hardest-hit segments over mm-hmm. the last few months here as well. Yeah, we just had a Cummins Diesel come out with some earnings, and they actually beat again. Yeah, They beat the expectations again, these Wall Street guys. They need to look at some numbers and say it's, they get a little excited, just like they did in the stock market. They're yeah. very forward looking. That's yeah. the thing is they're very, since they are, their information is extremely in the now, they tend to apply their knowledge of things earlier than it happens. These, t- these cycles take a lot longer time to, uh, you know, have an impact. The stock market is, of course, up, you know, <laughs> while everything is still recovering. Yeah. That's that's a common theme. Uh, yeah. The stock market will go down before we even went home, you know. And, and talking about the stock market, I mean, a lot of people ask me as an
1: economist, am I looking at stocks? Am I, you know, what are my thoughts on it being up or down and things like that? But I don't see it as like a good reflection of what's happening in the economy right now, because just I, I've seen the stock market surge a couple Thursdays here. And Thursdays, as you know, Zach, is when we get weekly jobless claims. And we've gotten some substantially just awful weekly jobless claims. People getting laid off left and right. And I've seen the stock market surge despite that. So I, I would recommend not looking at the stock market as a good measure or a thermometer for, I guess you could say, or gauge it for
0: the health of the overall economy. Look at yeah. some of these more pertinent releases. It seems to be very divergent. Uh, again, these guys are very speculative by nature. Yeah, uh, my dad was a stockbroker um, back in the eighties. Uh, you're constantly trying to predict not where it is. So you, you're, you know, the value of a company, the value of the economy, is never. Really, it intersects the the value rarely, especially nowadays when they're constantly trying to say, well, I don't need to know where it's going to be today. I need to know where it's going to be in six months. Yeah. You know, we'd had Seth on here, uh, here in the last few months, he was talking about how you're really trying to get ahead of things. You're trying to predict where it's going to be six to, you know, 12 months from now and 12 months may actually be a little bit too aggressive. Yeah. They're trying to hit a window to get, kind of a midterm outcome on those, uh, returns, uh, in the stock market. But again, it becomes a self-fulfilling mechanism in the way that when everybody's buying, they kind of want to ride that train up. When everybody's selling, they need to, you know, ride it down as well. Right. So they're trying to take advantage of whatever movement in the market there is. Right. And some of these earnings, uh, you know, expectations were way off, uh, way off. So, well, we'll we'll see moving forward what, what that turns out to be. Second quarter, they might have applied second quarter expectations to, I'd say so. <laughs> to I'd the say first so. quarter. I
1: mean, when we're looking at uh, the first quarter, I think everyone kind of expected, as they should, you know, a lot of shakeups throughout the economy, throughout the many industries. But um, most economists, most analysts are really expecting more of the hard hit uh, segments to really kind of prevail or show that coronavirus damage or the the effects from that on the second quarter data. And I think that's going to be huge, as you mentioned, uh, for the transportation segment. I think it's going to be huge for, of course, retail. It's going to be huge for um, industrial production. So it's going to be interesting to see, as you said, the second quarter. That's where everyone is expecting to see the real downturn.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to be interested to see your industrial production for the food and beverage cycle come out uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Right. Um, So... Let's, let's knock out some uh, gross domestic product. Now, are you are going to talk gross. about the real gross
1: domestic yeah, let's, product? Yeah, let's talk about the real gross domestic product. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: real gross, as you <laughs> mentioned. Um,
1: and it was just released. So down 4.8% quarter to quarter. And so this is the first quarter number. So from January to March.
0: Um, is was this the number that they were predicting, like Goldman was predicting to be 20%? negative 20 percent down such
1: a wide range such a wide variance of like anywhere some said three percent some said upwards of 30 percent and so in the first quarter yeah it was a wide range Um, from some reputable institutions that just kind of shows like the the uncertainty uncertainty (laughs) that was really kind of hitting the industry and so um, I I definitely think that um, year over year second quarter that could be a reality of seeing something maybe around that high 20s to even 30 range. But we're looking quarter to quarter, negative 4.8, so almost 5% growth, um, drop in growth. Uh, of course, as we know, the consumer moves much of the economy. And so when we're looking at the GDP. We're always looking at what's happening on the consumer front, what's happening with uh, consumer expenditures. That's roughly just over two-thirds, over 66%. That was down Um, 7.6%. So these numbers, again, fresh, haven't had a chance to dive, take a deep dive into all these, Mm -hmm. but these are the the headline numbers right now. And so what we're seeing is that, yes, there was a decline in the first quarter. There will definitely be a decline likely in the second quarter. So I think everyone can call it that we're in the midst of a technical recession, two back to back quarters of, without a doubt, we're going to see see those
0: numbers decline uh, in the second quarter.
1: Right. And so, Of course, one of the things I want to look at when I'm looking at GDP, I have uh, the the report pulled up here, just the headline numbers, Uh, the goods segments, durable goods were down uh, 16.1% quarter to quarter. Um, non-durable goods, so things that have a shelf life of three years or less, down six point, um, I'm sorry, that was actually up 6.9%. So I'm thinking a lot of that was coming from the pull forward, definitely looking at groceries and, and food products, things like that. Um, so, but, uh, the other aspect, things that don't move freight, uh, Zach, that's (laughs) services, (laughs) but that was down 10.2%.
0: They don't move freight, but. Right. When these guys aren't out there making money, they're not spending money. They're not buying. They're not buying anything. Indirectly moving freight. Indirectly moving freight. Let's yeah. not let's not get too bogged down in that hole. Now there's a le- there's an indirect movement of freight. For there's sure. an
1: indirect movement of freight when when those industries are well employed. Zach, residential, residential. This report. Now this is the first quarter numbers, and this is the initial reading. These things get revised. On a month to month basis until the next release and Mm -hmm. it always gets fine tuned. But I'm seeing here residential, uh, for domestic investments up, uh, 21% quarter to quarter. So there was absolutely a a significant ramp up in, uh, domestic spending and, uh, investment for residential structures. And so. What? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that was pretty eye opening to see that. Explain this. Well, I got to dive deeper into this yeah. report. But, um, <laughs> Maybe next next time. But, but I think that kind of talks to some of the momentum that we saw that w- when we look at construction spending yep. uh, towards the end of 2019 going into 2020, that was... Ramping up exponentially. When we see housing starts really starting to come back online yeah. um, in the beginning of the year, that was ramping up exponentially as well. Uh, existing home sales, the larger component of all of that. Um, we saw that there was a tight inventory. And I've also saw that uh, retail sales for building products, materials was also going up. Some that can be accounted for, you know, some at home projects, some renovations, but also could be accounted for. Of course, we've had some weather in the southeast and many other parts of the country. Some of that repair work and everything like that but a lot of tornadoes (laughs) yes um, even here in chattanooga here in chattanooga (laughs) but um residential uh real estate i think construction housing definitely one of the bright spots of the economy before the coronavirus hit um i think it's definitely going to be one of the areas that we start to see kind of starting to ramp back up i'm not going to say nationwide of course well interest rates are low. <laughs> interest rates are low. Historically low. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a lot of people are in fear, I mean, of a, a complete housing crash. The good thing is that mortgage uh mortgages are much mm-hmm. more difficult than they were to get uh, in 08-09. So there's that buffer.
0: Wow. Wow. Well we are running up on time, Anthony Smith in no debate. this week. Uh so we should have some sort of discussion. What do you? Uh, what are your projections for second quarter GDP? Quarter to quarter movement. Yep. Um, double digit. Double surprise. digit down. Um,
1: <laughs> it's going to be hard to call it, but I, let's 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 call it
0: twenty three percent. Twenty three percent down. Might change, Sequentially. I, might, might change that after I might change it after I dive deeper into. Yeah, doubles. yeah. I'm not going to hold you to it just yet, but that'll uh, lock you know. It in. <laughs> you're not going to lock it. In. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's Freightonomics. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, as usual, check out FreightWaves.com. Uh, check out FreightWaves live uh, it's at up. home here in the next week. Uh, as you know, we have numerous speakers. We still have all the fun uh, information for you available for that. So be sure to check that out. Uh, incorporating Slack as well, right? Say
1: what? I think we're incorporating Slack as well, so you'll yes. be able to message, reach
0: out directly to some of these demo companies and all that good it's stuff. It's a it's a new world all, all over yeah, uh, in yeah. terms of communication. We're going to take full advantage of that, uh, you know, environment that we live in now, where everybody's at their house and and working from home. So you just get played out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. They <laughs> wrap it up. All right, all right. Shout out to Emma the intern. Emma, give me show more time me. than I was actually counting.